0: Welcome to the Animism Listening to Land podcast, and this is episode number two, and this is Phil again, and I'm back with Nathan. Nathan, awesome. We are really happy to be back together in each other's presence, and we actually came back from a a beautiful walk, and now we have a quote to set the tone for today's conversation.
1: Yeah, so the quote um, I have to share is from Thomas Merton, and here we go. The rain surrounded the cabin, with a whole world of meaning, of secrecy, of rumor. Think of it. All that speech pouring down, selling nothing, judging nobody, drenching the thick mulch of dead leaves, soaking the trees, filling the gullies and crannies of the wood with water, washing out the places where men have stripped the hillside. Nobody started it. Nobody's going to stop it. It will talk as long as it wants, the rain. And as long as it talks, I am going to listen. Wow i love that <laughs> yeah i really i really love this passage and i really love this quote for i mean many reasons but i feel that thomas merton is like poetically expressing um my re- the relationship that i engage with with the natural world mm. like there's all of these like living voices in the living language of the land and they're expressing themselves authentically and just take a moment to pause and you can just, like, witness all of this beauty, all of this expressive beauty that's constantly surrounding us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's it's a beautiful way to acknowledge that language is a lot bigger than just human speech, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, language so.
1: rises up from place. It mm-hmm. rises up from the land. It belongs to the land.
0: Right. Yeah, it's not human-centric. It's actually rooted in place and it's expressed through us but not just by
1: us
0: (laughs) yeah and actually uh funny
1: stories coming to mind in that very land that we just were walking together not too long ago Mm -hmm. the first time I went walking into that land I had an experience where I had just moved into the forest and while all the while I was like listening to the birds and the robins calling and then I got into the woods and then I paused for a moment And then on my pausing, all of a sudden, this squirrel pops out on a hemlock about five feet away from me. And my immediate head is like, please don't alarm. Don't (laughs) tell everyone in these woods that I'm here. And what do they do? They alarmed at me. And then once they alarmed at me, like I kind of just, like I sighed. and was like, "Ah, Okay. And then a stellar's jay came flying in, responding to the alarm Mm -hmm. and perched in this hemlock right here and then looked down at me and then alarmed at me. And I was like, okay, okay. Like, I get it. I'll keep going. I'll keep moving on. Like, I'm sorry that I've disturbed y'all. I'll keep going. So I keep walking and then I pause again. And then after a moment of my pause, the Stellar Jay alarms at me again. And I turn and see that the Stellar is following me. Uh-huh. So then I keep walking. And I'm like looking over my shoulder now. And they're following me. And then I stop again. And then they alarm again. Yeah. And I turn to the Stellar's Jay. And I just went like, hi, I'm Nathan. Who are you? And the Stellar Jay actually is looking at me. And they cocked their head to the side. And then made a call that I hadn't heard a Stellar Jay make. And then a moment later, two other Stellar's Jays came in and perched with them. Wow! And then all three of them made these the same call towards each other, and then all three of them flew away. Whoa! And there was so much like expressive language mm-hmm. between these Stellar's Jays and that squirrel, that and myself as yeah. we were moving in the land together. Uh-huh. Just beautiful recognition of just a many-voiced land.
0: Ah, that's I love that story, and that reminds me of. Uh... An experience I had with a crow at Mm. Union Bay. So Union Bay Natural Area is a place I've gone to for 16, 17 years now as a sort of a walking sit spot, a natural place that I connect with, spend time in. And one day I was out on a walk by myself and I was coming back towards the parking lot along this gravel path and all of a sudden the edge of this path in the bushes were these birds alarming and I was feeling frustrated because I couldn't see what they were alarming at and mostly humorously I, I started talking to a crow because this crow was ignoring me and it was sitting up on this light pole above the path and it was also calling at this same area where all these birds were alarming in the bushes and and I turned into the crow, and I said, well, I just, I don't see it. I don't get it. What are you alarming at? And I just kind of vented a little frustration. <laughs> and the crow turned completely around, looked at me, and then turned back and caught, and it seemed to be emphasizing even more what it was saying, as if, like, all right, human, listen up. I'm, I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you. <laughs> and... And I stood there and I like genuinely tried to understand what was being said. And I knew that given that the alarm was low down in the bushes and it was mostly ground birds, it was probably a ground predator. So it could have been a coyote or a weasel, but I wasn't sure. But I stood there for a couple of minutes and then eventually my time was running low. So I turned to the crow and I said, well, I still don't know what it is, but thank you. And I started walking away and I passed underneath this crow and after I don't know maybe 20 or 30 feet past this light the crow jumped off the light flew past me and actually tapped me on the shoulder with its wing and then landed in front of me in this very like obviously deliberate way of getting my attention and being like hey I'm not done with this conversation yet Mm. (laughs) and then as I walked up to it it made this little soft sound it didn't do a loud call at me and so i i got as close to it as it was comfortable and it was on this chain link fence and it grabbed this piece of vine that was on this fence and it broke it off and then it dropped it and then it looked at me so i leaned over and i grabbed a dead plant and i broke it off and i dropped it and then the crow like shimmied across the fence closer to me and then it started preening its wings so i like got closer a little bit and I started scratching my arm and like adjusting my clothes and the crow looked at me and then shimmied closer and eventually we were almost arm distance apart and we were looking at each other very quietly and intently and clearly the crow was trying to figure out like how to communicate more clearly with me and I was being kind of thick (laughs) as we humans can be (laughs) when we're still learning to listen, right? And, And this moment came when I just felt in, this incredible connection with this crow. And it was also kind of a humorous moment because I felt very like, ignorant of what the crow was trying to communicate. But clearly it was trying very hard to communicate with me and it was being very patient. And another crow flew by all of a sudden and it caught at the first crow. And the first crow caught back at that crow, turned and looked at me, looked at that crow, looked at me as if deliberating, should I stay and try and converse with this human or just move on? <laughs> And the passing crow called again, like, come on, you know, I could hear this incessant tone in his voice. And then the, that crow that was interacting with me decided it was done. And it just kind of looked at me for a moment, jumped off the fence and flew off. And it still stands out in my mind as this reminder that there's language all around us all the time, especially with birds. Of mm-hmm. course, they're such profound teachers of language, but it was just about tuning in. You know, and I was mostly doing it it in sort of an exasperated way because I just couldn't figure this little nature puzzle out. But absolutely, there was conversation happening there.
1: Yeah. Something that really captivated me in that story was, like, yes, it was the, the spoken language of the crow that like brought you all into a rapport. Mm-hmm. But throughout the your story is littered with how much you were listening to the body language mm-hmm. and the expressive language of the crow's body from like looking at you and then turning over here and like crowing like, it's here, like yeah. listen, human, yeah. listen, <laughs> Phil. And but that like, tuning into the body mm-hmm. language is I feel essential when it comes into listening to land.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's a big part of why we named this podcast listening to land is it's it's a turning our attention to the other beings all around us that are communicating in lots of different ways so obviously birds tend to get our attention more because they're very vocal Mm -hmm. and they're very mobile right but to a similar degree you know the the bushes that the birds were alarming in are also expressing in their own way right and the wind that was blowing those bushes a little bit is expressing in its own way and so yeah being attentive right i think we mentioned this in the first episode is the gift of our attention is one of the first like the primary ways that we can give back to the land
1: yeah absolutely and that ties me into coming and like giving our attention is perceiving and sensing Mm -hmm. and perception i love um going to jump back here to david abram an incredible author um, speaks to like perception as being a reciprocal exchange that it's a exchange between the perceiver and the perceived and that the the being of being perceived is actually an active engaging action that they are expressing their own body like their shape their texture their color is all being expressed in an animate way mm-hmm. and that is the gift of us then being able to perceive them so being perceived is not necessarily like doing nothing or just sitting still it's a very active engagement from both like that you watching and observing that crow but then also watching and reserving that bush mm-hmm. that in all essence is just being still but in that stillness so much is happening
0: yes yeah absolutely yeah I, that's That's a beautiful way to put it. And in our earlier conversation today, you mentioned a word participant and Mm -hmm. participating. And I I really love that as a way to describe other beings. They are participating with us in this act of perception and listening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a form of language.
1: Absolutely. It's a, it's all that unspoken language, that Mm -hmm. um, animate language, if you will. And like you were saying, like a wind speaks or, their own language of the way they move through even like the, just the direction they're coming from mm-hmm. or the ways in which the other day I was out at my um, sit spot and I was watching the wind was gusting. Like it was so strong and it was creating like such a strong tide in the water. Mm. Like the biggest waves I had seen here on my sit spot, like maybe like a foot, foot and a half high coming in to the shore. And like that was an expression of language between the wind and the water.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful story. I like that a lot.
1: That's why we've spoken about with the expressive language of the land and noticing, too, that we've been mostly speaking to, like, the sense of sight.
0: Mm-hmm. I also want to acknowledge
1: mm-hmm. that the land speaks to us through all of our senses. That's right. Like, the scent of... Um, A beaver mound that vanilla stench Mm -hmm. that is a language and conversation that's happening Mm -hmm. and it could go on about the sounds of the birds to the taste of the huckleberry like these are all Mm -hmm. languages of these beings and their ways of expressing to us and for me like the importance of recognizing these as being languages and languages of these beings because for language to be there needs to be a culture Mm -hmm. And for a culture to be, there has to be a knowledge. Um, I've had a professor who's defined, who defined culture as being our learned way of being. Like Mm. it's all that we've learned in our lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so all of that lived experience that these, all these other beings have, and then their expression of that being their language to recognizing that they have a culture and that they have knowledge can then now recognize that they have something to offer mm-hmm. that they have value and lessons that they can teach us which then begs the question are they objects or are they subjects right
0: yeah and you and i certainly feel strongly that the world is full of subjects rather than objects and this actually brings up the point of how we use our language to shape our relationships with the world and with other beings in the world. And one of our favorite authors, Robin Wall Kimmerer, wrote this beautiful book, Braiding Sweetgrass. Really recommend it. And I'm actually gonna read a little snippet of it because this really speaks so eloquently and so concisely to this this very piece of our conversation. This is in the chapter called Learning the Grammar of Animacy. And she says, Swept away with the idea, he said it felt like an awakening to him, more like remembering, I think. The animacy of the world is something we already know, but the language of animacy teeters on extinction. Not just for native peoples, but for everyone. Our toddlers speak of plants and animals as if they were people, extending to them self and intention and compassion until we teach them not to. We quickly retrain them and make them forget. When we tell them that the tree is not a who, but an it, we make that maple an object. We put a barrier between us absolving ourselves of moral responsibility and opening the door to exploitation. Saying it makes a living land into natural resources. If a maple is an it, we can take up the chainsaw. If a maple is a her, we think twice. And then she continues a little bit further down, and she's quoting one of her students from a botany class, and she says, But just because we don't think of them as humans doesn't mean they aren't beings. Isn't it even more disrespectful to assume that we're the only species that counts as persons? And she continues and says, The arrogance of English is that The only way to be animate, to be worthy of respect and moral concern is to be a human. And so Robin Wall Kimmerer is really making the argument in this chapter that we need to be conscious of our own language, of our use of pronouns and ways of talking about other beings, other people, human beings and other than human people. And the last thing I wanted to read from here is this short little paragraph in She says, a language teacher I know explained that grammar is just the way we chart relationships in language. Maybe it also reflects our relationship, relationships with each other. Maybe a grammar of animacy could lead us to a whole new ways of living in the world. Other species, a sovereign people, a world with a democracy of species, not a tyranny of one. With moral responsibility to water and wolves, and with a legal system that recognizes the standing of other species, it's all in the pronouns.
1: Mm. Yeah. That's so good. It's mm-hmm. so good. and actually brings me to um, the notion and movement of deep ecology. Mm-hmm. And the idea that all beings and all beings of nature, from the crow to the hemlock to the western red cedar to the red belted conch. They all have intrinsic value that is not born of what they can do for us as humans, Mm -hmm. but that they just bring value and add value to the world of their own accord. It's just Mm -hmm. their gifts that they contribute.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And really to see the world through animistic eyes is to shift from putting ourselves in the center to putting ourselves in a world where we are in relationship with all the beings around us. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely a little bit of a shift, you know, (laughs) it it can seem a challenge, but I think it's really worthwhile too, because the world is so much richer than just us and the conversations we have with ourselves.
1: Mm, Absolutely. It's reminding me of, um, of a story, um, just outside here, right outside this cabin, there's like that fence line. And then there's this door that opens up and within that door, um, a few weeks back, I was like, got on my car, I was walking down here into the cabin and then all of a sudden I paused because the sun was shining and on the fence line, there was this huge, like intricate, like 3d web spider web and there were all these droplets of dew riddling Mm. the web and the way the sun was shining through the trees and hitting the droplets they were all just like sparkling like and i would just like move my head here and like down over here and up here just to see that shift in the pattern of their sparkling and then still watching it i started to move through the doorway when all of a sudden i just paused and i don't know i didn't know why i paused in the moment but then when i turned my head and looked like directly in front of my eyes there was just a single strand that went through the doorway and then on that single strand was a single strand again that went down perpendicular from that one mm. and i paused and as i looked at it i noticed that there was just the tiniest of a spider like on that single mm. strand but then i kept following it down and i noticed that at the bottom of it there was a water droplet and then as i looked closer there was a spider a second spider holding that water droplet on the end of this strand. Wow. And I immediately just like put down my stuff and just sat down. Wow. And I was just watching this spider. I noticed that they had two of their legs were holding to the strand. And then the other six were just like wrapped around this droplet as they were holding it in place. Wow. And I was just so curious. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know so badly. Like, what is this spider going to do with this water droplet are they going to drink it Mm -hmm. are they going to like water their web with it why would they do that i don't know like i had so many questions about this spider so i sat there for like between 45 minutes to an hour Mm. just like watching this spider because i just i needed to know i needed to know what they were going to do with this droplet of water Mm -hmm. and that whole time they did nothing they were just swaying in the wind but as they were swaying in the wind i realized i was like i by watching you and observing you I can actually see and witness the language of the wind, and how the air currents were moving within this space as it was swinging from side to side mm-hmm. and in circles and in like um, figure eights and all of all of it. And it was the language of the wind was being scripted through this strand of this silk web and this spider and their water droplet. Wow! And all the while watching them. And then, um, as time went on, nearing the end, my landlords came home and they pulled up and they stopped. They got out of their vehicle. And I engaged them in a, like a slight conversation. They were curious about what I was doing. And I told them like, I'm watching this spider with this water drop. And they're like, Oh, that's really interesting. And then they turned and like went inside and just in those three minutes or so of this conversation, like I turned and looked back and the water droplet was gone.
0: Whoa. And I was just like,
1: I missed it. Oh, like, no. I missed it. <laughs> I didn't get to see what happened to the water droplet. Oh, no. But then all of a sudden just this thought just popped into my head of the great mystery. And I was like, It could be so easy for me to say that I like learned this lesson of the great mystery from like experiencing and watching this. Mm -hmm. But it would be but if perception is a language and an expression, as we were speaking to earlier. Which we
0: think it is, yeah. Yeah.
1: Then this spider taught me that lesson of the great mystery. Mm -hmm. Like this whole time I felt like I needed to know what was gonna happen. But then this spider and that time of me looking away did something with this water droplet because they were like, you don't need to know. You don't need to know what I'm going to do with this water droplet," And just a beautiful reminder of the great mystery. Mm-hmm. And through animism, I can gift that power or not gift it, but acknowledge that power is with the spider that they taught me this lesson rather than me just learning this lesson from observation. Wow.
0: I love that story and it actually makes me think of two things one is a story of my own but also reminds me of robin wall kimmerer's uh use of pronouns for describing other beings right Mm -hmm. because that's a really difficult thing to do and other than just always saying they which which is definitely a possibility but they doesn't always denote intimacy Mm. right and she has these two beautiful words one of which comes from her native language, which is ki. And the plural for it is kin. And kin is actually the English word, which means relative. Mm. Right, And um, I just really love that that sense of acknowledging relationship through language. Mm. So you don't have to use Robin Wall Kimmerer's pronouns of ki and kin, but just keeping in mind that you're in relationship with other beings and that they are in some form you're intimate like that spider and the silk and the wind and the water drop Mm. and even the the structure of that fence there that created that opportunity right and the land that was holding it all of those elements or beings are in relationship in that Mm. time Mm. yeah so i i I love that i love that story (laughs) i have Mm. not heard that story before And I feel like, even though I have a story to share, I also want to listen, because I feel like maybe you have more to say.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I was wondering if you could use Key and Kin in a sentence, just to, like...
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, for instance, where I'm living right now, um, which is in the Snoqualmie Valley, there's a lot of waterfowl. So, there's a lot of geese and swans, actually, that fly overhead, and so one of the ways i sometimes use kin is kin are flying overhead mm. like I, I like that and i think robin Kimmerer actually uses a similar example in her book of um for instance swans passing overhead and i love hearing the trumpeter swans calls i wish we had a recording of them right now we don't but um i feel a sense of intimacy to place when i hear even when i just hear not even see Right. So even when I'm indoors inside my home, through the walls and through the closed windows, I can hear the passing trumpeter calls and the passing cackling geese and Canada geese flying over and calling. And that gives me a sense of place Mm -hmm. and and also actually a sense of belonging. Like I feel related Mm -hmm. to and and also in an embodied way, like I belong, like my, you know, I am where I need to be and I am in relationship with that place and um and the story that it reminded me of which is a story I've told you before was about uh Buick's friend mm-hmm. singing and I had this incredible intimate uh moment where I was in Southern California I had gone back to California I'd grown up there as a as a kid and um In my adult life, mostly I've spent in Washington, but I drove back there on a solo road trip and I hiked into this um, chaparral and sage-covered canyon by myself before the sun was up. So it was still dark and I was walking in the dark and I wanted to see wildlife. So, you know, I was going to do a sit spot on the edge of this canyon and, and it was kind of looking down into this steep valley. And I chose to sit under this shrub and i kind of bundled myself in my jacket and i sat very very still and as the light was starting to come into the world and and the hillsides were starting to brighten the dawn chorus started so even before the sun touched all of the parts of the hills around me in the valley the birds were starting to sing as they do and this was in the springtime and a lot of the birds were singing their spring songs and very quickly I realized I had picked the perfect spot unknowingly to get a very intimate experience with a singing Buick's Wren because I was sitting very still and all of a sudden full volume, not more than six or eight inches from my ear was a Buick's Wren singing so intensely and so loudly. And I remember this experience of not just hearing the bird song and hearing that particular individual friend expressing themselves but there was such a alive quality to that whole experience that the sound of that bird actually like filled me internally like my thoughts kind of dissipated you know like clouds on in a blue sky <laughs> and and I felt this I want to say it felt kind of like a hollowness like a, a spaciousness inside and the bird song came inside and i could feel it inside i could feel it like bouncing around inside of me and in it in its own way it was alive right so the, the bird was obviously alive and the bush it was sitting on was alive but the bird song too was alive and to this day when i retell that story and when i close my eyes and i put myself back there i can feel that energy of that experience i can feel that bird song and i can feel that through those beings that are expressing themselves the sunlight you know the scent of the white sage and black sage warming up in the morning sun and the sound of the birds was the aliveness of that land was the land expressing itself and i was such an intimate part of that that morning and it was such a privileged experience to Somehow be included in that and feel included in that, right? And for that moment, feeling like I belonged there as much as that Buick's wren. Mm. And also the honor of being treated by this little bird that spends a lot of its life afraid of being eaten by larger creatures, being treated as a trusted being. And it was literally, it was so close to me. That when i turned to look at it i i took about two or three minutes just to turn my head because i didn't want to disturb this bird and i got to look it right in the eye and i got to see i was so close i could see a reflection of part of the hill in its eye and i could see the watery quality of its eye and i mean how often do you get that experience right that was such a treat and yeah and it was such a like a embodied experience of the language of the land mm. in so many ways.
1: Yeah. Also, will in hearing your story. I love, uh, the entire, uh, picture that you painted mm. with the sunlight and the Canyon and the sage and the Buick's run, just all of these beings. And it deeply reminds me of, um, I once read a passage and honestly, right now I'm spacing on the book that it was in, but there was like these two different ways of describing a wolf, like a Western way and an Inuit way. Mm. And in the Western way, it was like, there's a wolf on that ridge. Yeah. And that was it. And then the um, the Inuit way was like, there's a wolf on that snowy ridge with the clouds and the sun's peeking through here. And they described like the entire landscape yes. of this wolf because there was this understanding that to authentically describe that wolf, I have to describe all of the relations. Mm -hmm. So here in your story, as you're describing like this deep felt sensory connection with this Buick's Ren, you're in turn describing all of the other beings that were there that made that relationship so alive and brought it into such deep rapport with each other. And then also by recognizing all of these other beings and their place and role of all of us together, you then could find yourself within that web. You can mm-hmm. find yourself within that sense of belonging in that land, in that place.
0: Yeah. I, I love that, that distinction you just made between those two ways of seeing. And one of my favorite articles online is called the invitation through Granta um, magazine and it, the author is actually Barry Lopez. And he talks about the distinction between how, his native friends, his native Inuit friends and Westerners tend to perceive an event. And he talks about observing a grizzly bear eating a caribou carcass. But he says the thing to appreciate is that from the animate perspective, right, that is an unfolding event. So when he shows up, there was already things happening. And when he leaves, there are things that continue to happen. It's a process. And so the way you distinguish a wolf, which is like an, an, it's sort of an item, an object that is acknowledged as separate from a landscape, which is the way we tend to talk in Western languages, right? We tend to categorize and separate things in order to label them. But the way you described the other way of seeing was as acknowledging relationship between all these beings at the moment when you saw that wolf or at the moment you had that experience such a richer way of living and experiencing. And maybe it's not as concise, but it is also a much more spacious and accepting and compassionate of all these other beings as being important of having value. Right. Mm. Because when we acknowledge something with our language, we also acknowledge that, That being or thing has value.
1: Absolutely, and that honestly also brings me to um, another quote, uh, another passage from David Abram in *Becoming Animal*, when he speaks of the difference of speaking about these beings and then speaking to them. That's right. And like, what a world to live in um, when we speak about these beings. Like, what does that feel like to the wind when we talk about them Mm -hmm. instead of talking talking directly to them Mm -hmm. and as if they just aren't present. Right. Like they're not even real. They're an abstraction. That's why I have to talk about them mm-hmm. rather than to them. And in that language of speaking to the wolf from that way of in relation, mm-hmm. it's acknowledging all of that wolf's relations, the influence that wolf has on the sun, the wind, that ridge, the clouds, just as each of those beings have influence on the wolf. It's like that, that reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. It honestly actually kind of brings me into the concept of the ecological self. Right. The idea of like self doesn't end with this boundary of my skin. Mm -hmm. Rather, this boundary isn't just a wall. It's a permeable membrane. Mm -hmm. And the self isn't defined as self, but defined as self in relation.
0: Right. So in my story of the Buick's friend singing, I could say that I could acknowledge that I was also identifying as the Buick's Wren and its song to some degree. And literally, I experienced that. like Internally, I was feeling filled with this bird song mm. in a very embodied way. And it sounds kind of strange to try and articulate it in the English language, but as an experience, as a lived experience, that's very much what it felt like to me.
1: And there was also that um, added component of it was all sensory language. Mm -hmm. And so being so rooted and feeling and smelling, smelling that sage, feeling the earth beneath you, hearing that song, like being so in tune into your senses allowed and made space for that song to move you in such a way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, that brings up the conversation of like, how do you practice animism? How do you listen? Right. Mm. And, it takes slowing down and it takes being attentive, right? It, it's, it's actually inherently human to experience the world in an animate way. It's just that, it, for instance, in the English language, our language is focused on commerce. It's focused on turning things into objects and selling them. And English is very good at that, but it, it's a little more difficult to articulate relationships in English. Totally. And acknowledge relationships in English.
1: Yeah, it is. that In that same realm, just as like we were speaking, we've sp- spoken a lot about how language is born of the land and born of um, our relationship to the land. Our language is just expressions, our spoken language, like English, is just spoken expression for like felt tangible experiences that occur in the world, in the animate world. And just as that language was born of the land, it can be used to enhance our relationship with the land to encourage it, to deepen it. But in that same respect, it can also be used to separate us mm-hmm. from that and to make it, instead of a tangible worldly experience, an abstraction.
0: That's right. That's why Robin Wall Kimmerer is trying to encourage the use of different pronouns like ki and kin, and also labeling a maple tree as a her or a them rather than an it, right? hmm and it brings me back to that article uh, Barry Lopez article that I mentioned because he says something really useful which is kind of instructive and helpful because animism is also a practice not just a way of experiencing right hmm he says perhaps the first rule of everything we endeavor to do is to pay attention perhaps the second is to be patient and perhaps a third is to be attentive to what the body knows so as you're acknowledging now this is an embodied way of experiencing language and experiencing life rather than just talking.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with, with language as an embodied expression, um, being embodied, it's a, like a participatory event of speaking and listening. And I feel that one of the, the great components that language spoken language gives us is we can tell our stories. And we can listen to the stories of others. Like with that story with you and the wren and all of the other wild beings that were there. Like that was a felt, tangible, real experience that you're sharing now here in this cabin. Hundreds of miles away from where that event occurred. But by telling that story, you, you are reliving that story. Mm-hmm. And you're sharing it. And you're able to share it because of this spoken language. And That's because right. of like this kindred relationship that we ha- both have to English this common tongue that we share. Yes. And like that's such a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing to tell stories and to listen to stories that connect us to the natural world, which just jumps right back into the ways in which language can actually encourage and deepen our relationship with the wild places. Yes.
0: I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so I I like that description and I also want to say that it's a perfect segue for us for episode three, where we can get into storytelling and how storytelling relates to our relationship to land, our relationship to listening and to animacy. Yeah. And so
1: to close, we actually would like to leave you, the listeners, with a question. And that question
0: is, is what does it mean to you to listen to the land? Mm, Yes. We would love to hear your reflections, your stories, your comments, and we will definitely leave... Um, a point of contact. So you guys can email us or message us and we'll have a website set up for you. Yeah. So I'd like to offer some
1: gratitude to you, Phil, for coming you down well. here and joining me in my space. And I'd also like to offer gratitude to this cabin mm-hmm. for holding us and holding this conversation Yes. and gratitude to all of you listeners for joining in and listening to us.
0: Yeah. Thank you all for listening. And, and our hope is that this has been entertaining and fun and that um, it actually is something you want to participate in, not just listen to. So um, stay tuned. There'll be more to come from us very soon.